I want to talk about a couple of different points about developing loving kindness, particularly as um, a vehicle for awakening and experiencing that liberation of mind. One part of it is that there is a kind of relationship. I've seen this in my own practice and there's some mention of it in the suttas as well, between loving kindness and that um, cultivation of it and experiencing the sort of vastness of the mind, the immeasurable kind of quality of that kindness. And compassion comes in there too, of course, and the other Brahma Viharas, but metta is always the, the one that sort of provides the basis. And there's a relationship between metta and the realization of impermanence. And so it's, it's not, it's not like there's some formula um, exactly, but to work at cultivating wisdom by being very attentive to the three characteristics, impermanence, dukkha, and non-self, actually all three, but maybe impermanence the most, is is uh, that there is a connection there with loving kindness and the way that um, i've seen it really um, be related is in realization of impermanence or also uh, dukkha probably not self as well since you know how those three are really interrelated, then there is this arising of metta. And it's, it's very interesting because the, this is why it seems to me like this metta is very natural. It kind of underlies um, the development of the mind and it, it sort of flows in when we let go of or see the structures that we are, we've created and that we're using constantly in order to feel okay or to cope with uh, the experience of being a human being and so vulnerable to all kinds of danger and harm and uncertainty and aging sickness and death, etc. And when we when we cultivate when we develop wisdom, we see the true nature of reality and we realize that that's just how it is there's nothing wrong. Um, whatever can harm our body is not really going to harm our mind unless we let it. And when we start to recognize these truths, one of the things that comes in is a lot of metta. So I used to say something like, 
I was convinced that the Buddha was right because every at every turn it would come back to love. And for some dear friends, especially this one on my right, that was way too fluffy. <laughs> and she she's been a great help in pointing out where I'm not exactly the most grounded. So we have to come back <laughs> to groundedness and it's like it's it's not um painting it all kind of um you know happiness and and roses uh, but it's more about the fact that when we let go of our defilements what we find there is meta and as I'm sure you've heard me say, I'm not crazy about translating metta as love because it just has too many different definitions, impressions, connotations, and nuances. <laughs> but if you really think of that un, um, unselfish, uh, completely disentangled, kind of love, which is that loving kindness. That's not also not a perfect translation, but that selflessness is there. Even the, the feeling of self or the knowledge of self or the awareness of self, the concept of self is like, starts to just fall apart. Then there's more and more of this love that loving kindness this metta that is so universal and universally applied uh, available regardless of whatever living being you might have in mind and the living beings in our life and the ones that we never see or may never see all start to take more of an equal place. And that can be very, very hard to imagine from the place of me, mine, my friends, my loved ones, etc. But that's what we're that's what's um, not just available to us, but that's inevitable as part of the practice of the path. So there's this, this relationship between those characteristics and, and metta. And as we practice metta, and we, and we get some sense more and more of that selfless love, that love without any attachment, that just spreads, you know, like we said earlier, it's, it's not something we have to like radiate out, we, it just spreads um, as it fills. And it's kind of like a spring that just keeps flowing. It fills, it fills our whole being, it fills everything around us, it fills the whole world. And as, as we experience more of that, we also have the capacity, I think, or the, the safety or the basis when we make this, this metta a basis, then we have this capacity to really see the truth. 
you know, that quote I recently talked about of Ajahn Chah, where he says, if you let go of everything or you put everything down, you will see the truth. And if you don't, you won't. And, and this cultivation of metta really gives us the, the strength, the, the facility, the basis for putting everything down. And then we understand our situation as human beings in the world. And in samsara, going from lifetime to lifetime in whatever realm, better. And we have the, the capacity to develop in that sense to ultimate peace and freedom. So we develop the loving kindness and it helps us to develop wisdom and we develop wisdom and then there's more loving kindness coming through. So that's one aspect of investigation or understanding, maybe hope, <laughs> um, encouragement. That's part of this, this practice of the cultivation of metta as a vehicle and basis. And uh, lib that liberation of mind, even on a temporary kind of experience by experience, and how that's supportive. That's one end of this spectrum. On the other end of the spectrum that I was thinking of, the other point is kind of on the other end of the spectrum, which is the really practical ability to experience metta. And some, you know, often people talk about how hard it is to uh, access that state of mind or open to it. And so in the guided meditation this morning, I introduced a couple of approaches, you know, the, from the texts, um, from the, it wasn't exactly what we see in the commentary, but the later commentarial material is, you know, talking about phrases we might repeat. And of course, we can have our own commentary on our practice and on what we experience. And, you know, like, how do you calm the mind, um, deal with whatever the mental states are that have arisen, and come back to or open up to the flow or the that that um, saturation of that spring in your whole system body and mind and so the things that i talked about in the meditation were as i said the standard description that the Buddha gave. I will abide pervading one quarter with a mind imbued with loving kindness, etc. That one. And, you know, sometimes that for people that feels completely inaccessible. And for other people, they 
you know, like when we talked about how you unpack that and work with it, then um, people have uh, good results from that. And the other thing, you know, like wishing yourself well, wishing others well, and having various phrases that you can use. And of course, there's a third one that I think that also comes out of the commentary, which is this idea of first um, encouraging loving kindness for ourselves, and then for the people we care about, and then for the people we don't know, and et cetera, out to the most difficult people we encounter. And there are other ways of doing that for the Western mind. A lot of times we have trouble focusing on ourselves and being kind to ourselves. So the encouragement is start with whatever living being, even a plant. Uh, there was one person who was like, she could do it for the plant in her office. <laughs> she couldn't do it for anybody else. <laughs> and whatever it takes. <laughs> um, and, and so, you know, that just starting wherever we can start to soften. And sometimes it takes more preparation even than that, um, that we need to have a greater sense of safety and maybe figuring out how to find that in our life, in our experience with, our, with someone we trust or um, in some setting that feels really comfortable and safe. So of course, I'm happy to hear about anyone's experiences or questions around that or around anything really. And Aya and I had a little conversation about a question we had this morning and you had more to say about it. Yeah, it was... tell them what I said, Aya. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> it was Chris's question about in meditation, and you can tell me, Chris, if, you, if I've got this right, I'm glad you're here this afternoon. Um, in meditation, when we come to a state of calm and stillness where um, there's, um, you, can, you can tell that your body doesn't want to move or it would take a lot to make it move and maybe you can't even move. And, and there's sounds in the background that you can hear and the question of is that access meditation or is that some you know absorption or what is it and my answer was don't worry about it basically <laughs> um, maybe it's better to not try to label it and open up more let go more of of that kind of um, evaluation but know that you're on the right track and you said, when we discussed it later. Did I say I have? don't remember. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the one who's supposed to be losing the memory. Something <laughs> <laughs> about like, um, but like practically speaking, um, like training yourself to let go of hearing it, like, like just kind of dropping it and telling yourself, okay, yeah, that's there, whatever but sort of letting go more into the peaceful feeling and going deeper into the meditation <coughs> that way by like 
kind of letting go of the sounds like yeah yeah it's there whatever but it, you can train your mind to ignore it in a way turn your but, attention back yeah, turn your attention to the the pleasant part of your meditation that is making you get deeper something like that mm -hmm. yeah and it, it's it's the the point of the onward leadingness of it so that when regardless of where whatever we experience trying not to well knowing that if we get excited about whatever it is which i'm not saying is what you're doing but you know how that can be <laughs> oh something's happening <laughs> and then you know <laughs> that's it but the point of where wherever we find ourselves whether there's light or whatever is happening um like you're saying instead of attending to the sound you're turning towards whatever is the most peaceful peaceful part of what's happening or if it's if it's a if it's a nimitta if it's a visual thing then going into the stillest part and then just absorbing in that and letting go farther letting letting that carry you to more peacefulness so it's always good to have the practical voice over here <laughs> yeah thank you you're welcome we were going to send sophie back with the message but you're here to receive it <laughs> too so yeah so are there any questions or experiences are you having any problem or trouble or maybe it's better to say what feels like it gets in the way when you have this intention to experience meta or develop it are you also welcome to share the like Oh, it was <laughs> great and wonderful and easy. That's fine, too. Yes, to do in our office, we were like wrapping up and everybody was asking, what's your weekend plan? And I told them I'm going for a retreat. So first my manager said, oh, you're going for a spa retreat. <laughs> <laughs> no, a meditation retreat. And I'm right now thinking it's so much better than a spa retreat. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's just become so still and peaceful mm. after the hectic week. <laughs> Could you hear Nito? No, awesome. Oh, some yes, some no. <laughs> yeah, she's very very prudently wearing a mask i would say <laughs> so i'll just try to repeat that um she said that at work there was this conversation about what are you doing this weekend you know how that goes and she said she was going on going to have a meditation or have a retreat and so your manager the manager said, oh, you're going to a spa for a spa retreat. She's like, no, I'm, I'm going to have a meditation retreat. And she's feeling right now like it's way better than a spa retreat. <laughs> so calm, so peaceful. So, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yes, I can. So I, I have a question. Um, you know, sometimes uh, life can become very hectic. And... Um, 
you know, to a point where, uh, um, I don't know, I think um, my mind becomes very reactive when, when things are very hectic. And um, it can get to a point where, you know, somebody says a small thing and it becomes like massive in my mind and so on. You know, like the smallest things kind of bring out a big reaction. And I wanted your advice that um, in such a situation, you know, things are really hectic and like, you know, mind's reactive, then um, what's a good way of, what's a wise way of dealing with that, of working with that? I think the first thing is to slow down. Now, I noticed for myself, like when I was working in high tech and I had to make a presentation, like especially like if it's something big at a conference and you've got hundreds of people, I noticed that the way the way I would respond to my own inner unrest was to slow down. Slow down in how I spoke. And it was always helpful if the technology didn't work. <laughs> Everybody in the room understands, and all you have to do is relax. <laughs> so if so you can actually train yourself to notice the feeling of being, you know, I, I feel tense, this is hectic, let me slow down. And it, it seems counterintuitive, like when it's hectic, you feel it hectic, you feel like you have to rush more, but that's exactly the opposite of what we need. And it doesn't really take that much more time. And it actually saves a lot of having to backtrack. So it's, it's like the mindfulness gets better and better at detecting that feeling. So if we catch it before we say things, <laughs> we feel it, we feel it. And then it's like, well, now it's time to slow down. So you take an extra few seconds to think about what you're going to say. And you take an extra like few minutes to observe your, the people in your space. And then, you know, usually when we have mindfulness and we observe others, more compassion and kindness come up. At, at least that's if we can clear away all the irritation, <laughs> you know, because there's, but knowing the irritation for what it is, this is not wholesome, it's not helpful. It's not really the truth because in those times we can only see, well, at least from my experience, I can only see the things that are going wrong and I don't give enough weight to the things that are going well. So that would be, that would be the first line of defense. <laughs> yeah. And that'll take it a long way. Yeah. You. You're welcome. Any other comments or questions? So far. So I think we'll sit for a few minutes, maybe about 20, 30 minutes, and then 
Oh, yes, David. I actually thought of one if it's not too late. It's not too late. <laughs> uh, do you have any uh, teaching on how to use compassion to give up uh, perfectionism? Hmm. Yes, I think so. I mean, not that I've really thought about this before, but when I when you tune into what compassion is, you know, really seeing the dukkha in in what any of us is experiencing, our own selves or any anyone, um, any living being, then what rise, arises is a kind of acceptance. You know, because we see the dukkha, we have this really sincere wish for the dukkha to end. And that's, that's the definition of compassion. And we may or may not be able to do anything about the situation. But what we can do, and what I think flows fairly naturally, is an acceptance of this being the way it is. You know, we can, we can be present with that imperfect life, imperfect situation. We don't want it to be that way. We want it to be healthy, healed, happy, comfortable, pain-free, um, stress-free but it's not how it is. So I think our perfectionism comes because we don't want anything to go wrong. And we certainly don't want to be the one doing or saying or uh, the cause of anything to go wrong. And we think that we can somehow avoid that. Uh, we think that we can prevent things from going wrong but it's just so not the case um, not in ourselves and and not with regard to anyone else or anything in this world it has all kinds of um you know flaws mishaps everything's falling apart uh, it's not it's not that we be we become um, discouraged about it it's just to, to see reality as it is is actually encouraging because this is just this is just like this is this is now what we're experiencing this is just part of the of the whole panorama of living life human or otherwise so yeah, I think that perfectionism can definitely be softened there. And, and to a large degree, that's because we're putting our attention on someone else or other living beings. Perfectionism is very much about me and mine. And so um, as we, as, as the loving kindness that goes towards every being including ourselves compassion that goes out towards every being including ourselves increases and becomes more of a portion of our inner experience then the concern for self diminishes and so will the perfectionism that's what i think and fear
because I think perfectionism is very closely tied to fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like like fear of like I, I was eating some salad. This is really silly, maybe, but asking them if they wanted it, and I was like, that's kind of pain to pour on the plate. Maybe I should eat it out of the bowl. And I was thinking, oh, my thing's totally gluttonous. What have I done? About <laughs> that, it's like so much suffering. So I'm like, is that just being perfectionist? You know what I mean? That was an example from today. I'm not that. sure. I think I'd have to see that in action to get a sense of it. <laughs> but um, it's a good point, though, David, of when are we just, you know, kind of monitoring our own behavior, patterns, habits, training or lack of training. And we need to, you know, be more careful, get more with it, or whatever. Or do are we overly um, critical of ourselves and maybe others as well? And so that's always that's in that realm of developing wisdom and clarity. You know, what is it that we can just let go of? What is it that we actually need to? Um, train ourselves to improve? It's a good question. Sometimes we can get a clue from other people's reactions. Sometimes um, other people's reactions aren't important because they're not enlightened either. Uh, Really pay attention to the people you feel have gained some ground on the path you might say the wise that's what we'll see in the suttas you don't want to do things that would be later criticized by the wise so we can reflect on that you know what would my teacher say what would you know for me what would Ajahn Ganha think of this what would Ajahn Pasano think of this what would some of my elder bhikkhuni sisters think of this you know, and that can be useful. Yeah, I think if, if not to come back too much, but is it okay one more time or is that? You can. Because yeah, the, the intention is to keep eight precepts, so I try to eat a lot so I don't eat dinner, but I don't know how to communicate that well in this context. Oh, I see. Yes. Yeah. So, um, right. How long have you been doing this? Eight precepts. Uh-huh. I don't get it every day, but uh, I've been trying to for a, roughly a year, but it's on and off. Right. I've been trying to. I mean, one thing that you learn when you keep eight precepts for a long time. Um, I mean, I've been doing this since like two thousand four. Yeah, almost twenty years. Um, you don't really have to eat that much more. That balances out after a while. I think it would be better for you to consider using healthy allowables later in the day. You know, like choose something that actually is good for your body and addresses what your body may need. And then just take the minimal amount of what it is that's supportive to your body, and that's a reasonable medicinal 
um, allowable later in the day. And then you don't have to be so worried about making sure you're full. And in fact, the Buddha recommended that you don't get entirely full. So yeah, you just, you definitely, we definitely don't want to be greedy at the mealtime or appear so. And also, you know, attending to what's appropriate in the social context and, um, and the and when we're doing this on our own, so I did that for a pretty long time also as a lay person, because it took a while to find where I was going to train as a monastic. And there are things that you should modifications to make doing that as a lay person living among lay people or being among lay people. So um, you don't need to be quite as let me say strict in the sense of, you know, try not to be weird. This is one of our, this was Aya Chitananda's, you know, like, don't be weird. That's our motto. <laughs> <laughs> and she presented that, or maybe I did. I'm usually the one who says things. She does things, and I no. <laughs> we we were at a Western Buddhist monastic gathering, so we have these monks and nuns from all different Buddhist traditions. And I, for one reason or another, voiced the fact that our our motto is to, you know, try not to be weird. <laughs> this is weird enough. I mean, <laughs> like that's what someone said. You know, how do you how how do you do that? Given <laughs> you do that, um, but it it was funny because it kept coming up through the conference and beyond. But just that idea that you know, how do you how do you? Um, and the Buddha did this because even when when lay people would point out that there's something the monks or the nuns are doing that doesn't suit the sensibilities of society, then they should change with the way they're doing it. And the Buddha would make a rule to change the way they're doing it. And so you, you definitely want, you don't want to um, be weird, you know, you just like kind of find a way to hold your precepts and not be an imposition on others and not, um, yeah, not be so weird. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. If I may just add. so I by the way I did hear your announcement, David, mm. and uh, I did see you eat from the bowl as well. <laughs> and I just wanted to share that I actually thought that, like personally, I thought it was quite thoughtful of you that um, kind of you know like we also don't want to waste food uh, and yeah. potluck. And um, I thought that you were also saving like a paper plate because you were eating out of the bowl. So at least in my mind, uh, I can share that, uh, you know, I didn't see anything weird. If anything, I, I saw something thoughtful there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you never know, do you? <laughs> cool. <laughs> that wasn't weird. That's the problem with not being weird. You're not quite sure. <laughs> Some, sometimes you're very sure. <laughs> Other times. Yeah. Okay. Well, keep keep people at ease. I think it's the not be weird, right? Like, don't do something. Something feels uneasy. Yeah. It's yeah. Ease. Like, you want people to suffer, right? Makes me think. Yeah. 
uh, sometimes after PPB events, like on the way home in the car, I'll be like, Kyle, did I say something weird? <laughs> and Kyle will always say like, Grace, we're around a bunch of Buddhists. Even if you said something weird, everyone's just working with it. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> See, that's a very good point because it's like, I'm going to try to not be weird, but if other people are weird, then I work with it. <laughs> it's not a problem. <laughs> and as we pointed out, they might have a good idea to pick up on. <laughs> Yeah. I never hear you say anything weird. Yeah. No, I don't think ever said anything weird around me. <laughs> Usually the people who are wondering if they said anything weird are the ones who are cleanest of everyone. <laughs> They're the ones you never worry about. <laughs> Serena? I, th I think I have two questions, if I can get my mind straight to <laughs> the mouth. Um, my understanding, I think, is that reflecting on impermanence can help us have some reflection and insight into not-self. So I'm thinking that it's um, in metta, extending it to ourself and outward to others can also help with some space around not self, ego self. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the first part. So, um, and then wondering if you could speak a little more to fear in regard to metta, working with fear in metta. And Ajahn Pasano saying about finding the safe place, I think he said in the body. Um, for comforting the fear, I think is what he said. But I know he said it's very important to pay attention to the fear. Mm -hmm. So can you just speak a little about working with that fear and place of comfort in the body in metta? Yeah, let's see. I agree with him, of course, that it's important to pay attention. It's kind of like the way we started the meditation this morning. It's like be first be present with the state of the mind and the body. And if there's fear, then we know that there's fear. And actually, if we're in engaging mindfulness, there's probably going to be some compassion coming up around that fear because yes what if what if the fear is so like terror mm. sort of pervasive so pervasive i don't know it's like it's blocking the compassion mm -hmm. I, I don't I okay don't. yeah it's it, if the compassion you know is just not there because the fear is so full overwhelming filling the whole screen the best of the best approach is mindfulness. Because when we when we bring our attention to that fear, we can start to it, it moves it out of us and in front of us in a way that we can see around it. 
I remember Ajanamaro one time talking about you think it fills the whole screen, but actually you step back and you see around it, you see the space around it. So that's how you get a handle on it. And that it's kind of funny, get a handle on it, like a name for it. Like like you can like you can start to see its characteristics. You know, like how big is it? How what color is it? You know, like what texture is it, right? All those kinds of inquiries increase your mindfulness. And you're observing it. That's why you know, observing it's and and what is it that's observing it? So you can, you know, Ajahn Zamedo, you know, I know you know this language. It's like it's the knowing. So it's the mindfulness, it's the being present with that presence. And as Ajahn Sumedha would say, that part is not afraid. So the part that's observing the fear is not afraid. And that's that's where the peace comes in. And and when I think when I, what Ajahn Pasano is saying is finding the safe place in the body. A lot of times what we talk about is noticing where you feel this fear in your body. And you could inquire, is that the safe place as well? The place where it shows up, the part of your body that can handle it, that's receiving it, that's holding it. And just you know, this kind of inquiry has a softness around it, even though there is fear. Yeah, and sometimes when the fear is very strong, it's really helpful to reach out and talk to a, a friend. So call your nuns. Yeah. Yeah, and remember as much as you can that there isn't anything you're going to experience as a human being that isn't also experienced by many people. And some way or another, we all get through it. And also remember that you have the Dhamma. And that's incredible. Yeah. Anything else, Serena? No. So we'll sit for a little longer. Um, we've been on the floor here for about 45 minutes or a bit more, but maybe we can, if anybody needs to take a break, feel free to get up. We'll just um, have a, yeah, have a meditation and then We'll do some cheap on together.
So right now we can observe our body and mind. And notice if there's a feeling of kindness that comes to meet the experience you feel in the body right now. And see if there is anything that you would do with your posture in order to be a bit more comfortable. Maybe take a few deep breaths. Let the body settle. Knowing mindfulness of in and out breathing, the Buddha encouraged us to be aware of our breath and our whole body. And then we might feel some pleasant feeling arising simply from that. And that pleasant feeling that can come with being mindful. And my sense of the pleasant feeling that arises is that it's quite similar to the feeling of metta. But we don't have to put any labels on it. We can just be present. The Buddha says, Basically, pay attention to the pleasant feelings, not just the physical ones, but also the spiritual ones. 
the spiritual energy. And what we pay attention to becomes stronger and more pronounced. Then he encourages us to bring our attention to what's happening with the mind. What is the activity there? And we can invite that activity to calm down. To be at ease. When we visited Ajanganha, he said it many times, be happy and at ease. And it's interesting how much our own volition can make that happen. Happy entities, breathing in, breathing out. What happens if you're not happy entities at this point? And we pay attention to that. We can ask ourselves, what can we bring in here to help the stress, the tension, relax? So as Ajahn Brahm says, relax to the max.
And as the body and the mind become more open and available, relaxed, we can invite the metta to arise there. using whichever method is helpful to you. Filling one quarter with a mind imbued with loving kindness. Or may I abide in your well-being. May everyone abide in well-being. Repeating phrases like that over and over and over again, feeling the calm, the peaceful, kind feelings. We're putting your attention on a living being that your heart opens up to right away. Remembering that this loving kindness is spacious. In fact, immeasurably spacious. entirely a sense of well-being and goodwill. Mm-hmm. 
Sometimes this time of day when we focus on metta, it can be hard to stay alert. So then we need more enthusiasm, more inspiration in the heart. We can think of acts of kindness that we've, we've made towards others, and we can think of acts of kindness that have come in our direction. We can even reflect on or bring to mind acts of kindness that we hear about in other countries, in other cultures, in dire situations. You can see how the quality of kindness really runs through all societies, all cultures, all countries, all throughout history of human life. And if you've tuned in to the Deva world at all, either in study or in practice, then the Devas also have been reported to be kind and compassionate towards human beings and also animals. Now, when we experience the kindness of others, then more kindness arises in ourselves. And the same thing is true when others experience our kindness. And we all know of examples, have experienced examples of this. So how do we take these practical examples and apply mm -hmm. them in our meditation? Besides remembering them, I think the main way is feeling what it feels like. Noticing the feeling, what it feels like when you're kind, when you do something or say something kind to someone, you help pick them up a little bit. We're going to just do this for about another 10 minutes. See if you can be alert and open the heart more and more. See if you can stretch into or 
flow into that loving kindness more and more in your own mind, in your own heart.
we're gonna stand up and try some chicken. So she's the professional, and I'm the amateur. <laughs> you want to look at form. <laughs> Focus on grace. Yes, okay. So I don't know if I ever did this with you, but this is what I do with that text from the loving kindness. Um, yeah. So, well, first maybe you could give a little bit of like how people should stand. Okay, sure. Um, all right, so my Qigong teacher said that to be really good at Qigong, you only have to do two things. One, have a calm mind, which I think, you know, maybe we're there after a day of meditating. <laughs> and then the second is to have a very straight spine. So actually, if you were to stand, lean against a wall, then your spine would be straight all the way down and touch the wall all the way down. Usually there's a little bit of a curve in the back, but in Qigong stance, the tailbone is tucked. And the core is quite tight, it's straight all the way down. And then some looseness in the joints, you know, the knees, nothing is super straight and nothing is, you know, right angles. Just a little bouncy is where you want to be. Okay, so when I was studying Qigong, uh, one of the things I learned, I'm sure you do, is to do this, breathe in, and then breathe out, and sweeping your hands down. And there was this, um, the mind you're thinking about and feeling the energy come down the front of your body. And you can also breathe in, reach up, and you can think about the back side of your body and feel the energy come down. So when I was using the texts for, you know, I will abide pervading one quarter in the mind imbued with loving kindness, I'd reach up, breathe in, and pull the metta down, if you will, and fill the whole front of the body. Like I said, like from the core out. And then the second time, inhale up. And my mind taking that energy down the right side and filling the second quarter all the way to the floor. And the third quarter, reaching up. 
exhale and bring that energy down the back of the body. Filling that whole area with metta onto the ground. And the fourth. On the left side, pervading the fourth quarter with the mind imbued with loving kindness. And then above, I would reach up, kind of fan out, and feel that spreading over the top, kind of a dome. And then below, I would let my hands come down and fill that all in below. And then around everywhere, bringing it about up to here and out. Around everywhere and to all. Bring my hands up to all. As to myself, back to the heart. And then this part of I will abide pervading the all-encompassing one, spreading out everywhere, abundant, exalted, immeasurable. Spend as much time at this stage as you want, Just feeling that spreading out. without any hostility or ill will. What do you think? It's beautiful. <laughs> what did you all think? <laughs> so, um, my teachers also talked about spontaneous Qigong. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah. Um, I don't know how to explain it other than you're in the posture and feeling whatever the energy is in your system and you're moving accordingly. And so that's basically what I did with repeating that text. Just kind of like, so you can find your own expression of it with your system, with your energy, with your body. Thank you, Grace. <laughs> okay. Would you like to do some more Chico? Would you be 
are you willing to believe that? I would be willing if people want to do it. <laughs> do you want a little more before you go into some other phase of meditation? How many? Yeah, yeah, they're, they're excited. <laughs> um, and I want to follow too. How many minutes do you think you can do? Now let's see. It's 2.48. Maybe about 10 minutes, and then we'll have time for more discussion or QA. Great. Um, let's warm up the spine a little bit because that allows, it's like the spine is the super highway of chi energy in the body. So, starting in Qigong stance, let's start with picking the cherries. So, just imagine you're reaching for some juicy cherry fruit and feeling a slight stretch in the spine as you go from side to side. It should feel really good after sitting for hours or standing for hours today. Maybe finding a way to make the breath a pleasure in this movement. Those last few cherries before moving to our next movement. All right, let's go into our next movement. Um, final core stretch. So starting neutral on your in-breath, just letting that energy start in your, uh, this is where all your chi is stored in Qigong. So letting the energy come up the spine and then stretch open. And then again, the energy starting in the hip area, curling down. And at your own pace, opening. And breathing out, curling in. Letting that movement and that energy initiate and spread up the spine, down the arms. And just a couple more rounds before we move on. When you're ready, getting ready for the next movement. This will be a little twist on the spine, just so we're warming up in all the directions. So starting in neutral. When you breathe out, just twist and then push your hands as if you're pushing away opposite walls. Holding it here for as long as it feels good. And then when you breathe in, coming back to neutral. Breathing out, going to the other direction. 
This should feel really good all the way up the spine. And whenever it feels good, coming back to neutral. Letting that movement initiate in the hips and the travel up the spine. Every movement coming from the core. And a couple more rounds before we go on. This next movement is classic Qigong. And my teachers have said that it captures all the juice of Qigong in this one simple movement. It looks like this. I'll show you the side view. So with a straight spine, as you breathe in, the movement originates in the sea of energy here, comes up the spine. And as you breathe in, your arms just float up with the breath all the way to the fingertips. And as you breathe out, relaxing from the hips up the spine, the shoulders relax, arms relax, wrists relax, fingertips relax. Breathing in. And breathing out. Imagining that it's not the muscles that are moving, not even the mind that is moving the body, but the breath and the breath energy, lifting the arms and letting the arms float down again. Let's do a few more rounds where you breathe in and out in the same movement. So breathing in and breathing out as the arms float up. Breathing in and breathing out as the arms float down. Letting the breath and the breath energy move us.
Let's do just two or three more rounds. For this next movement, it's really great for a closing of practice. So starting with your feet together this time, your hands are cupped right in front of your hip sea of energy. And then as you breathe in, one arm circles around and comes right down the front of the body, breathing out. With your next in-breath, the other arm goes out, gathering up all the good energy in the room, in this world, bring it down the center, centering ourselves within it. Going at whatever pace feels best for you and your body and your mind. Letting the breath move us. One more movement to each side. Bring both hands to the lower belly, feet together. At this point, softening the gaze or closing your eyes altogether if you feel comfortable with your sense of balance. And then just swaying like a bamboo in the breeze, trusting your feet, your lower legs to hold you upright. Letting the body rock and sway wherever it wants to go. Letting the body recalibrate after our energy practice. Few more breaths here.
and letting the eyes gently open. We'll seal our practice with a bow. So having your right hand in an empty fist, a very loose fist, this means this is a sign of respect. And then your left hand in a flat palm, let them meet in front of you. Let's bow, thanking all of our teachers in this lineage of Qigong practice. And that's it for this. Thank you, Grace. So I come down very helpful for my knees and my back. And I also, through the years, found Qigong practice very, very helpful for meditation and for um, opening the mind and the body to the flow of energy and um, mindfulness, development of mindfulness. So, we have um, almost a half an hour. Anyone want to ask about anything or have any comments at this point? Uh, yes, the last question about the Nita, the method. Um, I practiced before at home um, watching some videos about the Nita method. Um, I think I didn't practice correctly in a correct way because I trying to I was trying to send love kindness to uh, a friend, but I feel that the feeling is really strong, very strong. I feel very very strong feeling. Um, so I this time I was trying to just um, try to feel the, the the subtle, not too strong, but kind of. But I still I'm still not sure. Mm -hmm. not if I'm doing it correctly or not. Um, yeah. Well, tell me more. You said you felt the very strong feeling. What was that feeling like? Um, like, uh, I wish all the best to that friend and trying to send love. Like, I also pictured a friend in front of me. Like, yeah, I can. Mm -hmm. But I feel that very, you know, kind of a very strong feeling and tickling and like I can that feeling can last for 10 minutes but cannot cannot last for one hour. Does it sustain? Uh -huh. um, yeah. So I don't think that's mm. that's a correct way. Um, but if I don't if I don't send it you know intentionally strongly that feeling to a friend or to to the space or to, to every creature like uh, I feel like I don't feel it. See what I mean? It's like it's not building up and yeah. yeah. So I feel a little flowing long. out, <laughs> right? Yeah, you know. Yeah, I'm not. I don't think I would say that either of those is incorrect. Just that we can um, take take the time to be present with the energy of metta in yourself and let it build up and how does it build up it's through having um 
consistent mindfulness of it, you know, so you really stay present with that. Um, I don't know, how did you start to get it to flow? Or how did you begin? Was it just like, okay, now I'm going to just send metta to the friend? Or do you start with, like, I will by pervading one quarter with a mind imbued with loving kindness or some other thought or phrases that you bring up? How do you, how do, you do it? Uh, usually, I, I started to send love, uh, kindness, I wish all the best to myself. Mm -hmm. And I feel that feeling. That, mm -hmm. um, and then for a while, a few minutes, mm -hmm. um, and then I try to send to a, a friend uh, of the same, the same you know, mm -hmm. a female friend. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and it sounds like that's fine, <laughs> I would say. And then um, what you were saying is that you could feel that really strongly, but it doesn't last. I feel very, yeah, that, that feeling is, was really very, very quite strong. Maybe mm -hmm. I put too much. I don't think it's um, too much. I mean, metta is volitional. It's not going to last. I mean, all things volitional come to an end. You know, so it's it's in in that way, you know, like really putting your strong attention first on yourself and the loving kindness coming up in there, in that feeling coming and then out to this friend, you know, that's going to last for a while and then naturally it's going to fade. Yeah, and I think that that's fine. Um, this idea of how do I liberate the mind? by loving kindness, by, by immersion in loving kindness, that's going to be more of a staying with that feeling in your own system for a while, more, longer, I think. And you're um, maybe thinking of it more like this water springing up from the ground, filling you and you're, you're letting that like really develop and then it spills over and it goes out you know maybe more like that it's a different purpose though like you were sending that to your friend because your friend was in need probably at that time maybe you know so sometimes you know people ask us to chant for them or you know spread blessings or share blessings and so that's a kind of different intention which is fine so i didn't really think both both things you experienced and described are fine and then see what it means to you to cultivate liberation of the mind through metta so when you're present with the metta and you let it get really strong not by pushing in any way but you know just the continued mindfulness and encouragement of the the metta to grow and develop and you're not you know you're not necessarily trying to put it push it out anywhere but to just see what is it like when the mind is really in that moment at that time 
free from defilement. And then practicing that, giving yourself time to do that repeatedly, you know. And yeah, it won't last forever. I mean, it'll fade. That's okay. And then you can, you can, you know, do it again. Or, you know, just learning. And, and then, you know, as we cultivate and we get um, more practice with this, then it does stay longer and there can be, I mean, it, throughout the practice, developing our sila, our samadhi, and our panya, the, there's more and more loving kindness. And you see that in people who have really practiced for decades. You know, you can really see the metta overflowing there. And that's what will happen with us too, gradually. So, yeah, if you if you think about this this quote, like we will develop and cultivate the liberation of mind by loving kindness, make it our vehicle, make it our basis, stabilize it, exercise ourselves in it, and fully perfect it. So just like taking each piece of that quote and seeing what we what happens in our practice. Is just the idea in the mind is enough to like really encourage that to happen. So one part of what you said about the fading is what does it mean to make that more stable and maybe last longer? And whether it's strong or it's subtle, just observing that and seeing what's more peaceful is when it's really strong, maybe that's not the most peaceful, but maybe it was a good thing in that case for your friend. You're welcome. Yeah, Neil? Um, yeah, um, I always have trouble bringing this up, but so for a few years now, um, I've volunteered as a mentor in a Buddhist correspondence course for prisoners. Mm -hmm. And I always feel I have to give a, if I, when I do mention that, I always feel I have to give a caveat, which is that there's a manual and there are questions and answers and you grade them based on them matching the correct answers so it's not like i'm putting myself out there as a teacher um but occasionally you know there are open-ended questions where they're you know they're asked about you know uh, there's actually quite a few questions over the course of the course about practicing metta and um not really questions but exercises and often i've read these comments along the lines of you know i have tr i have trouble with this particular uh prisoner that i room with or on the yard or whatever and i try to send the meta and it doesn't work and my response is usually along the lines of you that and you tell me if this is wrong um that you can't 
really send meta to anybody. The idea is to bring it up in yourself for that person. Um, and, but then I feel like, well, you know, so then that doesn't really have any practical use for them if they're trying to resolve a situation with someone else. Um, so I try to say, you know, the idea is if you can cultivate it in yourself, then you sort of, you just start, sort of automatically generate it and they can feel it in you and it may or may not have an effect on that person's response to you, but you can't really change anybody else or give anybody else something like meta. You just have to feel it toward them. Um, is that is that a legitimate response, do you think? That sounds like a very legitimate response to me. I feel like, yes, if we are trying to change someone, that never really works. The way that other people are affected by us is that we are practicing and that becomes obvious to someone else, or at least they pick up on it, whether it's obvious or not, or they're conscious of it or not, they somehow pick up on it. So I would say you're on the right track. I don't, I don't see anything wrong with your answer. I think, um, yeah, if people can understand Most of the time when we're trying to change other people, um, we need to change our own focus. And that's what you're asking them to do. You know, come back to focusing on your own mind and developing that kindness within yourself. I think you're right on. Um, and then what happens even without our conscious maybe our conscious awareness of it is that we are behaving differently towards them. And that will change the dynamic. And you might mention to them that sometimes if you change your side, their side might get more aggressive or more or worse in some way because they're used to playing a certain game with you and you're not playing by the same rules and right. it's disturbing. <laughs> yeah, and and sometimes they've they've made that comment themselves. You know, like I'm trying to be nicer, and it doesn't seem to be working. But I have to say, over the course of you know many assignments, sometimes that person will come back to me and say, you know, oh, suddenly they're being much nicer to me, and you know, so it right. So I think you know some of them get that, and and I get it. Yeah, that sometimes. Um, it takes time. Yeah. yeah. It's good to reinforce for them that the stronger, the more solid they are internally, the more clear they are. And even if this other person's behavior changes for the worse, you're still solid in yourself. That's what's going to make the difference in the long run. Yeah. And the other thing that I sometimes add is that you, that you, and we, I think we've talked about this in these sessions uh, quite a few, quite a bit as well, that 
when someone is behaving a certain negative way toward you, you have to remember that they are suffering. Yes. And so you need to add some compassion in with the metta. And um, I don't know, I'm just obsessed with the Brahma Viharas. And maybe sometimes I go <laughs> and I'll say, you know, and then, you know, maybe a little, um, you know, sympathetic joy if something goes good for them. And then eventually you'll hit equanimity, you know, but I mean, I try to keep it very simple. And I usually end up editing these responses after I've written them. But um, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know what made me add that in. But anyway, yeah. Okay. Well, I, I thought you might go there because that's where my mind was going. That, you know, when we're really, when we stop trying to change someone and we're being present with mindfulness and kindness, then also what happens is we start to see their suffering. Just like what you're saying, we start to have compassion and we're actually listening, listening in in that way. That's not just listening to the sounds, you know. It's like we're listening to their language, their body, their, you know. And then then there's more compassion. There's more understanding. And what really matters isn't what other people do to us. It's what that state is inside of us. So if we're at that place, whatever the other person says or does, is, is their karma um, that also deserves compassion and we can be happy and at, and at peace. So I think, you're, I think you're helping them in a good way, Neil. Thank you. But I gotta say, like, I'm going to go fluffy for a minute. Oh, no. <laughs> or, fluffy alert. Ooh, ooh, I don't know. <laughs> but like, I think you really can send someone metta yeah. because we've had this weird experience in Mountain View when we were in the other house. And I was downstairs, like, cleaning or doing something. And I was upstairs cleaning or doing something. And I was like, she came back upstairs and I was like, yeah, you know, I suddenly had this like big hit of meta. Like I had a lot of meta coming up really strong. And she was like, I was sending you meta from downstairs. <laughs> and so well, like, I think we, yeah. can, we can feel each other's kind of oh, yeah, well wishes and good intentions. Well, she also even. knows what I'm thinking all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but like people talk, talk about this, they'll yeah. like be thinking of their mom who lives in another state. And then their mom will call them up and be like, hey, you know, I was just feeling all this like love and thinking of you. And, you know, and so it's like, yeah, I think not not in a situation that Neil's talking about where you're trying to like change someone or fix the situation. But like, I, I do believe that we can have a good effect on each other through, you know, the metagoo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree, too. Yeah. I know, though, for this experience you're talking about, it wasn't like I was sending you metta in that way it was more like i was so like it just came up so strongly it was definitely oh. you were in it too you, you pervaded the upper quarter that pervading thing <laughs> that pervading thing is very different from the thing yeah, not the broadcast though. Well, maybe that's the broadcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
Yeah, I remember that time. That was pretty fun. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> Welcome to the Meta Broadcast Network. <laughs> hey, that could be cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Karen Thank you. I, uh, I, um, I, I feel like I, maybe I've asked this question before, but forgive me if I have, I can be a slow learner sometimes. <laughs> um, so in terms of other people directing, um, ill will towards me, I guess, um, or uh, ill will arising in myself, like I, I, I don't know of a way to use meta in those circumstances. Like it's really hard. It's difficult for me to use meta in those circumstances. Um, I have mostly used um, some kind of skillful distraction of my mind. So mm -hmm. when I find my mind going down these pathways of, you know, like mm -hmm. uh, not liking something or, um, you know, feeling ill will, then I have distracted myself by like, turning on a Dhamma talk on my phone or, you know, things like that. And um, I find that quite effective in terms of like changing my, my thinking, like not allowing myself to go down that path. Mm -hmm. And the other one is, I don't know. Um, I know I've talked about this before here, but it's like, it feels almost like practical meta, like for a close relationship when someone's um, directing some criticism or, you know, being angry or something, yelling. Um, mostly I've done this with my mom and uh, where I just decided I'm going to do a kind act. Mm -hmm. um, and um, it, that has worked pretty, that has worked quite well um, mm -hmm. in close relationships. Um, it doesn't really work in uh, like acquaintance, neighbors, things like that. And I found the thing that Neil was talking about where um, my neighbors have gotten more aggressive the nicer I am towards them. Mm -hmm. um, and I try to make an effort always when I see them to say hello, to smile, you know, and um, it's almost like they're taking it as an attack on them. Wow. Um, like manipulate, so, do they think you're manipulating them maybe or something, you know, it's just nice to <laughs> be able to get away with whatever or something. I don't know. I don't know. That's maybe. a sad state for them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I feel really sad sometimes for some of my neighbors that go around seeming to be really full of anger, you know, yeah. makes me really sad. Um, but so when those situations come up where I'm feeling ill will, um, I don't know how to use Metta in that situation other than like, you know, mom, would you like a cup of tea or, you know, something like that, like that works for me. Um, and I'm, holding a sense of like love for her you know um but i think maybe that's easier in a in a closer relationship yeah. um yeah so that's my question yeah so just to just to comment a little bit on your two methods that you described the first one is i wouldn't call it distraction actually i would think of it more like that simile the buddha used in the removal of distracting thoughts sutta where you're you're pounding the rotten peg out by putting in a, a, a good peg. So you're getting rid of the ill will focus by putting in the Dhamma talk focus. 
And that is skillful means, as you pointed out, that is a really good thing to do. Distraction is something else. And sometimes it's useful, especially if you can distract who you're talking with, if they're going off on a, on a toxic tangent, you might be able to interest them in a more wholesome topic. <laughs> that can be helpful. Um, the, the other part uh, is great too um, with your mom and um, maybe adding in, maybe you already do this, but maybe adding in the things that she's done for you. After all, you were able to survive to adulthood, for example, largely because of her kindness and generosity. You know, regardless of whatever, you know, abusive behaviors or whatever else, our parents did what was needed for us to come into this world and we've made it this far. So, you know, it's kind of like there probably are a lot of things we can think of that um, provide a really good basis and reason for us to feel kind and compassionate towards them and to do nice things, even when there is cantankerous is all get out and saying the most irritating things imaginable <laughs> so there's that and then what is it about strangers and um yeah i think we have to do the best we can do i mean when i mean all of these things ill will and kindness and compassion are contagious and when we're in the presence of people who have a lot of ill will, it's likely to get evoked in us. We're like tuning forks. And even when we don't want to vibrate, we, we do, you know. And so um, being able to see that coming sometimes can help, you know, okay, I'm going to step out my door now. Let's see. Let me see if I can put on kind of a Brahma Vihara shield. Preparation can take us a long way. And, um, you know, just like this idea that metta really does have a palpable, real effect on other beings. When Aya, when you were talking about that, I was remembering this, um, this thing that happened once when this ship went down and this one man survived by clinging on to some you know, floating what stuff from the broken up whatever that he was was surviving on in the ocean. And he was like out there for, I think it was a couple weeks or some crazy thing like that. And he would almost lose, lose it. But he came from this village in Europe and that village they knew he was lost at sea and they made up this thing where they would come together in the chapel every day at noon and pray for him and when he was recovered when he was found he said you know i just felt like let it go i i, I couldn't i couldn't take it anymore but every day when the sun was up at the highest, I would feel this uplift and this encouragement to keep going. It works. 
And, you know, whether you think of it as prayer or you think of it as metta, our, our minds have this ability to connect. And you keep wishing people goodwill and happiness and peace, wishing them the highest happiness, wishing them liberation. Boy, would everybody be a lot better off if your neighbor got liberated. So yeah, just keep that keep that going. And what we each do individually is our own comma, it washes back on us. So we want to be putting out there what we want to have washed back on us. And I kind of like that vision of we put it out there and it washes back on us. So it's it's kind of like the Buddha said, karma doesn't come back exactly the way we put it out there. It's not like, you know, I said something mean to this person and then in the next life someone says something mean to me or the next day or whatever it is. It's not quite like that. There's a lot of other influences. But this idea that we, we put our, our metta out there or we put our anger out there and it washes back on us, you know, it kind of like we are affected by it, not exactly in the same way, but there is this re result. And so we just think about that. What do I want to have washed back on me? And that washing out there, that's going to have an effect on other beings. Anything else, Kirwan? Oh, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. And it also made me think the last thing that you were talking about, I don't know exactly the context of this, but I've heard Aya Nandabodhi say um, something. It's like maybe when, you can, when you're having a hard time um, doing metta practice, like imagining all the people in the world uh, are are that are um that are doing metta practice for all beings and any moment you there's someone <laughs> doing metta practice and it's coming to you because you're one of those all beings mm -hmm. and i find that a really helpful thing to to think of too lovely yeah thank you Kirvin. lynn <clears throat> you want to come in lynn she's happy in a minute okay. in a minute I'll, I'll come in but um i don't know if this story will be help, helpful to caredwin but one day i was leaving the hermitage and i was going out the big windy road and as i was turning around a blind corner uh, someone else was coming and we we just uh we both realized it we stepped on our brakes really hard but our front ends kissed and and my fender got bent and 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 I was we were both shook up, but the guy got out of the car and he started yelling at me at in just like I was kind of just a little bit overwhelmed by a, a near miss. I mean, it wasn't exactly a miss, but I just looked at him as he was yelling at me in the most sincere voice. I just said, are you OK? And he <laughs> he took a step back, and uh, and he said, uh, uh, "Yeah, 
but that interruption of what seemed to be an overreaction from my point of view, and I didn't really know what to do with his energy towards me, um, turned out to work out okay. <laughs> um, uh, he he kind of calmed down. We pulled over and assessed the situation. And then finally he asked me if I was okay. <laughs> and, um, but uh, a well-placed, you know, are you okay? If someone is going off on you, maybe, you know, in a, in a sincere way, just might work. Take it for whatever it's worth, but uh, it was helpful that day for me. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Lynn. It's a great story. It's a great experience. Okay, well, it's 3.35. Um, I think <clears throat> we should chant the Karni Metta Sutta in English. David, would you grab a bunch of chanting books and pass them out for folks? Come on, I'll Okay. I think you can see it now, right, Neil? Okay. Now let us chant the Buddha's words on loving kindness. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied. Unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature, let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove, wishing in gladness and in safety, May all beings be at ease, whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another, even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, 
outwards and unbounded, free from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding by not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. All right. Thank you all for being here today. And for those of you who are here in person, we have some blessing strings. If you want to take one and remember something from today and use it as a reminder, we'll pull those out of this cabinet in a second. And for everybody who's not here, not here right now, I hope every blessing goes with you from this day <laughs> and um, that it's been fruitful. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.